Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast is for parents, maybe not for kids. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 8th, the Pick and Fights with Your Kid edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 16, and Harper, who's 13. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer and contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column. A mom to Naima, who is eight, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. And I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's four. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. On today's episode, we've got a listener question from a concerned partner who's sick of watching a significant other pick fights with their kid but doesn't know how to step in or if to step in. And then we're welcoming back Rachel Hampton and Madison Malone Kircher for a new edition of In Case You Missed It, Mom and Dad. This week, they'll be explaining what the deal is with someone your kids probably know, but you might not, YouTube star James Charles and his return to the platform after sexual misconduct accusations. On Slate Plus, we welcome brand new dad, Eamon Ismail, to talk about his great piece on giving his son a Muslim name. But let's start off the show, as always, with some triumphs and some fails. Jamila, you first. What do you got? So I guess this is the culmination, perhaps, or maybe the latest installment in my now three-part series of triumphs and fails that all began with me, my mother being here and getting her out of here safely. And so... Naima went out of town with her dad for six days. They went to Arizona. Her other grandparents were there. It was really nice, I'd imagine. And she came back yesterday. And so I had six days to myself. Now, granted, we're a 50-50 custody arrangement. Naima is here half the time. But it's not usually like five or six consecutive days. We're usually doing three or four. So, like, it's not that these are breaks, right? These are times where she's here and times when she's not. And, you know, I, I do things when she's not here, you know, that I can't do when she is here, uh, which is something I have to explain to her a lot because she was a little frustrated when my mom was here because she was here more than 50% of the time. But I had to still do those things, which meant sometimes I was leaving and, you know, taking time away from them. And so now that she's coming back and I kind of needed a little, like six weeks of having not my house to myself after a year and a half of like, Half Naima, half nobody, and that's it. I needed a little bit more time to just, I, I need more time. I maybe needed like eight days, nine days to myself to just kind of like bounce back and recover. But it's fine because, you know, Na- I, I know Naima wants to come back to me and she's here. And so I guess my fail is that in these six days, I don't know, it's half triumph, half fail. I had big goals for writing and getting things done around the house. I did a little writing. I did some things around the house. But in my mind, I was going to write a rom-com and finish my (laughs) pilot script and just do all the things. And so what I did manage to do was check off the sex, drugs, and rock and roll box a little bit. 
Dan joked last week that 20-somethings and I are having a Bax Girl Summer. And it's true. Right. This was definitely a Bax Girl Summer week for me. So it's half triumph, half fail. The triumph is that I did have some fun. The fail is that I did not write the great American novel and a movie and completely turn my life around in the five and a half days that my daughter was gone. That's yeah. every mom ever when the yeah, kids leave the house. Not a fail. fail. <laughs> It's basically me every day. Good for you. Don't feel guilty about it. (laughs) I mean, I I didn't write the great American novel either. (laughs) Like, come on. I am proud of you for checking off the boxes you checked off, Jamila. As always, you're living for the rest of us. Great job. Elizabeth, what about you? I have a classic new camp fail. We went camping this weekend in um, the part of Colorado that's up by... Wyoming in the aptly named State Forest State Park. I didn't even realize that was actually the name. I thought it's it was like State Forest State Park. It's called State Forest State Park. Do they know what it is? I don't know. But it's the moose capital of of Colorado. Did you know they had one of those? I didn't. So we booked this back in February when we first thought that we would be coming here. We were like, let's grab a campsite for <laughs> July 4th with some friends. So we did that. And a few weeks ago, they emailed us and said that the reservoir that we would be camping next to has been drained to do some dam repair. So did we want to cancel? We were like, no, we're new camps. We don't cancel. We just go. So we go out there. Um, it's like four hours. And the we idea was it was a lakeside campsite. A lakeside campsite. Yes. Yeah, it's the, no the, longer a lakeside. The lake is gone. The lake is totally gone. But it's still the moose capital. And we thought, well, this will still be a nice, you know, camping. We're camping with friends. We get up there and I actually initially thought, well, great. Now I don't have to worry about any of the water safety stuff, right? Like, because we were, the campsites are right on the edge of the reservoir. So when you first get up to camping, it's like insane because you need to set up the camp. You need to get everything out of the car, but you also have these children that need supervised. And we had twice as many kids. So we had assigned them all jobs and they're all like sort of half doing the jobs, but eventually kind of drift off into this like kind of woods area that's between us and where the reservoir should be. And when we realized that they were all gone, I went down there and I gathered them and I was like, look, this is totally fine. You don't have to help, but do not go near the water. And they all like, look, and I'm like, yeah, see this, this should be filled with water. Do not go near that. And they're like, okay, okay, cool. So we get our tent set up and then all of a sudden we hear Oliver like screaming, screaming, like I've been injured screaming. So we, Jeff goes like just drops the temple he's putting together and like runs down the hill. It hits turbo. Yes. Turbo Jeff all the way. And out in the middle of the dry reservoir are our children. There's a little lake that go a little river, you know, that cause on, of course the reservoir works by damming up the river that's there. So the river's still running, but it's very small. Oliver has, like old school movie sunk into the quicksand waist deep. It is just Oliver's torso and his little, they all, I make them all wear these bright hats so we can see them. This is why Um, just his little hat and he's screaming and the other kids are trying to approach him, but their shoes are getting sucked in. And so So Jeff's like, you know, they are stuck in mud, but Oliver is like, I'm not even exaggerating legitimately above his belly, but above his pants line, he is into mud. And so Jeff like is finding a way out there. The other dad, Ryan is running down there. The mom, we're like trying to gather the other kids and he's like, not in any danger. Like I know he's not going to get sucked under by this, but It's terrifying (laughs) to see half your child. So Jeff's like extracting him. In the extraction, we lose a shoe. Um, His pants are just like 
covered in this very thick mud. Jeff is like going to pry out the shoe because we leave no shoe behind. So I take Oliver and I'm like, okay, we need the showers. And Michaela's like, oh, that email said the showers are down too. And I'm like, okay, well, I just need some running water. And so we're like walking around the campsite looking for running water. And they're like, oh, there's no running water here either. You have to drive over to the cabins. There's like one spigot there. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't want him to get in his car seat because he's like cut. Even after we've gotten the pants off, he's like covered in mud. And Jeff is like, you know, I got the shoe. So Jeff like just throws him in the back of the minivan and drives down the little road to the, he gently placed him. He didn't throw him, but he puts him in the back of the minivan, like wrapped in the blanket that we use to cover all the stuff in the back of the car and they get over to the spigot and it is like ice cold mountain water for which we had to shower poor Oliver (laughs) and all of his, you know, things. He comes back like in just his underwear. He's so embarrassed. Now you would think this would keep the kids away from that area, but no, two or three times we found them throwing as large of rocks as they could find. They wanted to see how much weight would actually sink in there. And, you know, and they kept telling Oliver like, well, you're so lucky without your shoes, it would have taken you under. I don't understand why the shoes were relevant. (laughs) But you know how kids are not scared of quicksand now? My children are, are, Oliver at least is now terrified, terrified of quicksand, dark, thick, muddy quicksand. I didn't even know that that stuff really existed, but it did. That's an amazing fail. Losing half your child to quicksand. Half my child to quicksand. I mean, did you even know that happened anymore? I thought that was like a thing of black and white movies. (laughs) Uh, Happily, Slate published once a 7,000 word story about quicksand that is fantastic about its use in movies and TV shows and how it actually works in the real world. And I can't recommend it enough. You should have read it a week ago. <laughs> would have, would have, I could have had a triumph. I could have known to warn my children of the quicksand. I just want to say my favorite part of this is the kids takeaway being, thank God he had his shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> we asked for explanation numerous times. No one could really explain, but that was definitely the takeaway. Do not approach quicksand without shoes. <laughs> right. They're the magic talisman that keep you half above, half above quicksand. Level. Apparently. Apparently. I also have a fail. It's a truly bougie fail, but it also comes with its own business proposal so that I'm very excited for you guys to hear. So this past week, I have been trying to go out a bunch of the nights after dinner with Lyra to ride our e-bikes somewhere. Like to just go for a ride. We haven't, we now have a second e-bike. And so Lyra and I can ride together and it's hard to get her to agree to do things as always. But one thing she will always agree to do is to go get ice cream. And so the weather has been beautiful. It's really great to go out for a ride. Also, I really genuinely love ice cream. So this has been a great thing for us to do. And on Thursday night, last week, we ride out at like, 815 or something. And we're headed for this neighborhood. That's about a mile away from us that has like a freestanding ice cream parlor. And then also like a little gourmet grocery store that has a very tasty gelato counter in it. So we get to the neighborhood. It's a great ride, beautiful night. And the gelato is closed. I guess the store closes at eight. That's just the way it is. That is obviously annoying. It's a beautiful summer night. We would like to purchase their gelato, but whatever it's a gourmet grocery store. So I guess they can close whenever they're going to close. So that's fine. So then we go over to the ice cream shop a couple of doors down and there's a sign on the door that says, sorry, out of ice cream. Probably because the gelato shop's closed. (laughs) So it is a summer night. (laughs) If you are an ice cream shop, in my opinion, 
you should contain ice cream on hot summer nights. I'm just going to put that out there. So now I promised my kid ice cream and I did not deliver the ice cream. And she's like, well, so why did we even do this bike ride? And I'm like, for togetherness. And she's like, that's bullshit. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go to Harris Teeter and buy a pint of ice cream. So that's what we did. So then the next night, I think, all right, well, we better leave earlier. So they'll still have ice cream and the gelato place will be open. So we leave at 730. We ride our bikes a mile to this neighborhood. It's a beautiful night. Great ride. We get there. The little grocery store is still open. At 7.45, we we walk in, we lock up our bikes, we walk in, we go up to the gelato counter, and all the gelato bins are empty and scraped clean. And I'm like, wow, did you run out of gelato? Like, the ice cream place ran out of gelato, and the guy behind the counter goes, no, we just always shut down the gelato counter 15 minutes before we close the store. And I'm like, it's 7.45 and a perfect Friday evening in the middle of summer. That's insane. So uh, we go to the ice cream shop. The ice cream shop this time is open and has ice cream. So we did get ice cream that night. But still, my local ice cream parlors failed to satisfy my ice cream needs. 75% of opportunities they were given on consecutive days. And that seems shocking to me because it is summer. And getting ice cream after dinner during the summer is like extremely basic. That's like, it's like not, should not be confusing. That's literally their whole purpose for existing. Right. That's, this if, moment if you in the choose year. to open an ice cream establishment, you're making a kind of promise to the community that you will serve them ice cream at times when people want to eat ice cream. So I don't think I'm being that unreasonable to feel somewhat disappointed that my local ice cream parlors failed on this front. Right. I know this is bougie, but still. <laughs> I mean, were there other people there getting ice cream? Maybe. Yeah. And they were also mad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there appeared to be yes, other people, yeah, parents and kids. So yeah, I think that turning around and walking away. I mean, someone needs to tell these business owners. (laughs) Hey, perhaps on some kind of nationally distributed podcast. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, exactly. And I'm not even going to mention the third ice cream place in our neighborhood, which only sells rolled ice cream. That ice cream where they like roll it up and then give it to you in a dish that has no flavor and they charge $6 for a small. We don't even go there. That's just straight up bullshit. But so anyways, all of this is to say that I'm now completely determined to open my own ice cream parlor in our neighborhood. I even have a name for it. Elizabeth, you will love the name. It's Doe Normal. (laughs) That's Dutch for be normal. I'm calling it that because it's just a normal ice cream place. But like, are you just going to be open like after dinner? Right. You're open all the time. That's our competitive advantage. We're normal. We sell normal ice cream, not rolled bullshit. And when people ask, (laughs) what time are you open? We'll say the normal times that people want ice cream. (laughs) So if you're a wealthy venture capitalist who wants to invest in this project, please send me an email. What are the normal times to you? I will say I'm spoiled because like over here, like our ice cream shop, I think the one nearest to me is open until 10 or 11. And then there's another one that's open until like 12 that I drive to when this one closes. Like we need people need ice cream at night. If it's a hot summer night, you should be open until at least 11. That is my firm belief. And I will stand by that. Until it's dark for sure. Yeah. You need to be open while there's light because people always want ice cream. Yes. All right. I don't think you're crazy, but yeah. (laughs) Investors, let me know. All right. Before we move on to the rest of the show, let's talk business. The first and most important business, subscribe to the show. 
you're listening, you like it, you're enjoying it. Wouldn't you like to just have an episode drop into your lap every single week instead of having to constantly search the internet for it, you know, overturning couch cushions of the internet and looking under the bed of the internet until finally you find the show. That's what subscribing does. It also helps us out, obviously, but it mostly it helps you out. The show automatically shows up in your feed. So it's a win-win. If you want even more of the show, you should become a member of Slate Plus. You'll get a whole bonus segment every single week, us talking about a new topic or a new question or with a new guest. Here's a sneak peek of what you could hear today. I started to think about how my name was ended up like just being very consequential in my life and how I felt when people just couldn't pronounce my name. So I wanted to give him a name that people can pronounce. But at the same time, I wanted to give him a meaningful name and a lot of the more meaningful names that I liked had. Like it was just impossible for non-Arabic speakers to pronounce. And not only will you get fun extra segments like that, but you'll get bonus episodes for shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. Plus, you'll get to read everything you want on the Slate website without hitting paywalls. So support us, support Slate, sign up for Slate Plus. It's only a dollar for the first month. Just go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting stuff. Mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much, much more, all in a handy email to you every Thursday or Friday. Also, it happens to be a personal email from me where I just write up what's going on in my life. So maybe that's an incentive too, or maybe you can just skip right past that to all the content. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we've got a listener question to answer this week. It is being read, as always, by the fantastique Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, my partner and their kid fight. I know that's normal, but probably 50 to 60% of the time, whether I'm in the room or hearing the story from my partner, it sounds like my partner is picking the fight instead of letting it go. I often observe situations where just standing up and saying, let's figure it out together, would go a really long way to avoid conflict. But I also truly believe that my partner doesn't have the capacity to do that right now, especially under the current circumstances, parenting and the pandemic, etc. What do I do? I'm fairly new to this relationship. I think my gut says not to say anything, but I hate watching it unfold, especially because I think they're doing a really good job, all things considered. Would I be picking a fight with the grown-up if I pointed out that they are picking the fight with the kid? Is there no good way to say it? Is it ever appropriate for someone in my position to step in? Does it ever become appropriate to say anything? Thanks. Picking fights. So first, I want to brag a little bit because the first iteration of this letter was 
somewhat vague to my co-host, but I knew exactly what you were saying, letter writer. So just know that like not everyone needed clarification. I yeah. got exactly what you were trying to say the first time, but thank you. The first letter was like, can I say something? Can I do it? Can I, are you allowed? And Jamila was instantly like, oh yeah, I get it. And she was like, this is a great letter. We need to take it. Yes. I was like, this is the one, you know, the idea of someone criticizing your parenting is one of the most frightful thoughts, I think, for most people. Um, it's not something that parents really enjoy, especially coming from someone who doesn't have children and even someone who does. But there are times in which we may need someone to tap us on the shoulder and perhaps help us see something that's not going super great within our parenting. Um, and that message can come from any number of sources. Sometimes it's your kid, you know, their self. It, sometimes it's a, uh, a loved one. And perhaps, you know, in this instance, letter writer, this could be you. Um, it may be that, and I don't know the age of the child involved, but it very well could be the case that your partner has gotten into this really bad cycle where there's a behavior or a series of behaviors that they want to correct but instead of coming up with a productive way of doing it they're leading to bickering and then they're succumbing to it themselves and I'm just bickering with my kid and upset that my kid is bickering with me but not realizing that I am the one who has started the bickering right maybe it's my language maybe it's my approach I would perhaps start with saying um, with asking some sort of questions maybe about your observations you know as opposed to nothing that feels like a value judgment nothing that feels like criticism but just kind of asking questions and offering support you know it seems like you and Robert have really been having some issues with the video games what do you think is at the heart of that right like maybe asking why do you feel you know what do you think is going on here as it relates to this thing that's got you all um engaged in that way. I don't know if there's anything you're able to observe about the child's behavior. I'm thinking since you're saying you feel like your partner is the one picking the fights, that it could be that, you know, there's something in, in terms of language that could be different. So maybe it's perhaps say, for example, if it were passive aggression, right? Like, do you think that perhaps you'd feel comfortable talking about um, your own experiences and saying, you know, when I was his age, I oftentimes felt attacked when my mother would say X, Y, and Z like this, you know, it, it sometimes, you know, perhaps, you know, he may be a little bit more receptive if you presented it in this way, or do you think that he's feeling, I, okay, let's maybe not do the perhaps, but let's just start with questions. I want you to ask a lot of questions of your partner about how they're feeling, about what they're thinking, about what they want this relationship to their child to look like, and to use that as your entry point to kind of help try and nudge them towards something that feels more peaceful. Um, I think that you can be a mirror, perhaps, to some things that might not be working, but you do have to be really careful about pointing a finger and showing up as if, hey, I figured this out and I know what's going on and here's what you need to do. But I think that you can help them to see that there may be um, a better way to, because it sounds like a language thing. It sounds to me like the kid is doing something that needs to be addressed, but instead of approaching it in a productive way where the kid can recognize the mistake and course correct, instead they're being led into an argument 
So I think you helping her or him to understand that part is very feasible, but you have to be so sensitive about it. I agree with you, Jamila, that the like key here is really to be empathetic because I don't think that it's necessarily your job to turn to your partner and say like you're causing these problems. And you even say in your letter like that they're doing a really good job given the situation. So I think one of the things you can do is praise your partner every time they do do a really good job. So when you see them doing that really great parenting and that really hard parenting, just giving them, you know, a nudge or saying like, wow, you did a great job handling that, you you know, once the situation is resolved and really building up the good moments, I think is something that you can do that feels good for everyone. It sounds also like your partner invites you, at least in terms of like venting to you or telling you about the things that happen when you're not there. And I think that is such an open door to the kind of questions that Jamila is telling you to ask is use those moments to ask those questions, but also say like, that seemed really hard or that didn't seem to go the way that you wanted it to go. Like, how can I support you in these moments? Because maybe what they do need or what, you know, your partner wants is for you to step in and help. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they really just want you to listen. And I think as adults, one of the things we can do is ask and say, like, you know, after the thing happened or when they're relaying this information to you, being able to say, like, I would love to be there to support you in this in the future, but it's uncomfortable for me because it's not my child. I mean, all of that are things that are probably not, um, that's not news to your partner, right? That you are not the parent and that you stepping in in this situation is difficult. So saying, like, how can I support you in this moment? Um, because maybe then they're going to open up and say, you know, I get so angry, I don't know how else to react or like this is the same interaction I always had with my dad, mom, whatever. So I think those moments are the moments in which you can talk about this and offer to be there. But it's really more your job to support your partner in the good parenting that they're doing. And I'm assuming that this is all kind of basic picking fight stuff and nothing that feels like anyone's safety, you know, is at at issue. But I think just being that other adult and I even though it's a child, you can think about how you would want a friend to help you, you know, in a sensitive situation with another friend or with something like that and how it doesn't feel great to have someone come in and say, you know, it seems like you're always picking the fight and if you just did this, but instead being there to say, hey, like, how can I help you in this moment? And these are the times where you're doing things like so well. And wow, you know, that took a lot of courage or way to handle that. Great. Like that almost blew up, but you really tone that down by doing X, like bringing up those moments when it is handled well. I think this is hard, whether you're like, even if you're married and it's your shared kid, like parenting with someone else is, is difficult. And when you are not the person interacting with the kid, it is so easy to be like, why are you going down that path, like come back. So I think you're in a spot where like a lot of people are with their partners, whether it's their child or not. And, and the more you can just be there and try to be, you know, the love that parents get a lot of opportunity to say, you're not doing this right. And here's a different way to try. But if you can be there in the moments that they are doing well, I think that will help in the moments that are hard, but I don't know, Dan, what do you think? I want to expand on something that you said, Elizabeth, I think in a lot of difficult conversations, you can think of your entry point as as either the picture or the frame. Either you are talking to someone immediately about 
what you see and what you observe and trying to lead them to the conversation by just launching right into it, which is sort of Jamila's, I think what Jamila is getting at by gently asking questions that lead you there without necessarily letting the person know, oh, I'm trying to have a big conversation about this thing that bothers me. Or you can start with the frame, which is to say, I think as Elizabeth was sort of suggesting, I see something happening here and I would like to support you, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. What are you interested in talking about this and what can I offer you that will be helpful? Different conversations different work different ways and different people are receptive to different methods. But this really feels to me like a conversation where starting with the frame is really helpful because it allows your partner to feel like an equal with you in this conversation. It doesn't make them feel like they're being, you know, gently eased into something that you're afraid they'll blow up about, even though that is true. You are afraid they'll blow up reasonably so because as Jamila and Elizabeth have both correctly said, this is such a touchy subject for people, but delivering the frame first and saying, this is a thing I would like to help with, but I don't know how. And would you like to talk with me about how I could help? allows the partner the opportunity to either take that or say no thank you, which you then have to observe. And it allows them to feel like they are working together with you on an equal level to start to begin addressing this problem. Um, And as you both have noted, when you're a parent, so often you do feel judged. And the experience of feeling judged always makes you feel like you are not on an equal level with the person who's doing that. And that can be at the heart of what is so hurtful or frustrating about that experience. This letter really fascinated me because of the sort of greater questions that it raises about when does a person have a quote unquote right to step in or address these issues that they see in a family that they are late to, that they've just started to have a relationship with or that they've had a relationship with only for a couple of years, which in the context of the larger family isn't that long. And it seems to me that probably the answer is a very unsatisfying, it depends. But do you two have any sort of rules of thumb for the way that this letter writer, but also other people in this situation can think about when am I a part of the family such that even in the moment of a debate, I have the right or even the responsibility to try to help solve these problems? I think that making it clear that that is the role that you want is one good place to start. You know, that I am, you know, like, I know that you all are dating, but I'm not really clear what, I guess it's not clear. Like, are you all angling toward marriage? Are you seeing this as a situation in which one day you may be a step parent or, you know, is this just someone who you're dating who happens to be a parent and these things are taking place in your presence and you're kind of, you know, at a loss about what to do. But I think it's important that you let your partner know that you are interested in being, you know, as your partner, I am interested in supporting you. And part of what supporting you means supporting you in within the context of your parenting and your family. And so that I, I care uh, about what's going on here. I have care and compassion for your child and I want to be helpful to you insofar as I can. I understand that I'm not a parent and, you know, that I don't want to overstep any boundaries, but it, but I, you know, if you are 
willing to allow me to do to to be that for you that this is a way in which I would like to be a support system to you. Yeah, I think it's so important to know exactly Jamila, you summed it up so nicely, but knowing where your comments are coming from, like, am I gut checking yourself to say, like, am I offering this because I have this care and concern for the whole unit, right? Do I feel that this comment that I have at this moment will make this situation better, you know, or is all I'm going to do is pile on something else for someone to think about, then that's not the right time for that moment. And that comes from a place of like, respect and loving someone. And I I mean, you can think about your friends even and the friends in which you have reached that point in which you are parenting their children when you are with them because of that relationship that you have with their children and with, with their parents, right? Where you are part of that loving structure to support those children, as opposed to just like seeing someone in the grocery store and feeling like, well, I could do this better than you. So here's some advice. So I think gut checking yourself to say like, am I offering this? You just got the shivers <laughs> when you said that. <laughs> well, I mean, like, cause we always all think we could do it better than what we're watching. Right. But you have those friends. Like I have those friends who it is not offensive if they say, have you tried this? Like, I noticed you're having trouble. Have you tried this? Because one, it's done over coffee away from the fight, right? It's not done in the moment or right after it happened. In those moments, those people are saying like, hey, are you okay? That was really rough. Like, you're such a good mom. These are the things you did really well, right? Like, those are the things you need then. But in a calmer moment, when you have someone that you fundamentally believe cares about you enough that they're offering this advice not to be right, but because they want to see you be happier or be more successful. Those are two very different spaces. And I mean, Jamila, I think your point about like, is this the role you want to have is so (laughs) important because you are saying like, I am willing to insert myself in this and develop these relationships, right? If that's not what you want, then you better just stay quiet (laughs) And stay back because you're not just offering advice. You're also offering to be part of this weave that is happening. And once right, you're making a kind of promise yeah. to this person by doing yeah. that. And if you're not prepared to back that promise up, then you should not be making that promise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. This is such a good question and such a good conversation. Listeners, I would really love to hear what you have to say about this. If you have been in a situation like this where you've been the parent where you've been the quote-unquote interloper, the new person in the family. I'd love to hear your experiences. Please drop us a line at slate.com or post to the Slate Parenting Facebook group when we post this episode on Thursday. I find this really interesting and, and would love to hear more and maybe talk about this a little bit more. And listener, Picking Fights, thank you for writing this letter. Thank you for writing the follow-up letter when only Jamila understood what you were talking about. And uh, we hope this is helpful and we'd love to hear from you and hear how it's going. Drop us a line as well. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are very, very happy to bring back the hosts of Slate's podcast about internet culture, ICYMI, Rachel Hampton and Madison Malone Kircher. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having us back. Hi, sisters. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> this will become relevant, I promise. I am already nervous. All right, so once again, it is time for In Case You Missed It, Mom and Dad. The segment where Rachel and Madison explain an internet thing that I am simply too old to understand, but which my kids know all about. Today, we are talking about YouTube star James Charles and the allegations of child sexual misconduct he's facing. So listeners, if you want to skip that discussion, time to hit that fast forward button. But I do not want to skip it because I need to know what the fuck. Rachel, this is clearly the perfect topic because the absolute first time I ever heard this person's name was when you suggested it for the segment. But my kids do know who this person is. So who is James Charles? What's going on? I would just like to say this is not the first time you've heard his name. I feel like at one point when you were editing me, I was like, we should do a James Charles Tati Westbrook explainer. And you were like, I don't know who that is. So I feel like we've come full circle. And then I am now explaining Wait, it to we you. We really have. Yeah. <laughs> You're finally getting a chance. To I'm finally getting ignorance. a chance to explain it to you. Yeah. Dan, how familiar are you with the world of hair growth gummies? Because that's where we're headed. Well, I'm. I'm familiar enough to start Googling them now. James Charles is a beauty YouTuber who I think first went famous because of his yearbook photo went viral. He had like this incredible highlight on his cheeks and everybody was just like, wow, look at this kid who knows how to do makeup. From there, he is like just exploded. I think he has somewhere around like 20 million followers on YouTube, like 30 million on TikTok. He did a collaboration with Morphe. He's kind of just one of the most prominent beauty influencers in the space right now. And he has been embroiled in controversy since, I would say, at least 2017. That's correct. I think the thing I would add is that James Charles bursts onto the scene because he posts this tweet where he's got like a full beat and it's, my yearbook photos didn't look good, so I brought a ring light and asked to take them again. And everybody goes nuts for this kid. He gets a cover girl. I think he becomes the first cover boy, officially. Yes, he does. Anyway, Mm -hmm. a year later, somebody else tweets about this and is like, y'all know that was a lie, right? He made the whole thing up. So so this is a man whose entire career is based upon this very savvy internet lie. I didn't even know I mean, it was a lie. He sounds like a genius. <laughs> Evil genius. Also, he's 22 yeah. in 2021. I'm not great at math, but that was five years ago. 
So an evil genius teen at that point. Simply incredible. So the reason that we're talking about him today is because he took a three-month break after these allegations came out of him basically grooming teenagers. These allegations have been coming out about James Charles since I would say at least 2018. The first one was with Gage Gomez, who is another YouTuber. You don't need to know who that is. But they went to like Coachella together and Gomez was underage at the time. And there were just allegations that he was grooming him and that he was like trying to convince him to be gay. And this all that's how that works. That's that exactly is definitely how that works. can confirm mm-hmm. that's how that works. <laughs> Madison, the expert. This, again, comes to light when Tati Westbrook and James Charles have their huge blow up in 2019, I think that was. Mm-hmm. And this started because of Back to the Hair Growth Gummies. Tati Westbrook is another beauty influencer in the space. And she has this line of hair growth gummies. All of these are scams. They don't actually do anything. But what happened is James Charles did a promo for her competing brand. And so it all started in this weird moment where in which Tati was like, how dare you use another biotin hair gummy? And then in the same video, she was like, you are like a groomer and a harasser. So very different charges being levied in this video. And these were like 45 minute videos. She did one, James Charles did one. She then did a second one. It was like hours worth of YouTube fights in 2019. So I find this fascinating for a bunch of reasons. And one is that like the, the you're turning this person gay is like a classic bullshit thing levied against gay people all the time. And so it's very hard for me to judge in any way the possible credence of these allegations. Do you guys feel like there's evidence out there that we should be weighing as we decide how to feel about James Charles, or is it still way too muddy to really have any real sense? Prior to this three-month hiatus that James Charles just returned from, he posted another apology video. James Charles is always posting apology videos. Uh, Posted another (laughs) apology video in April Uh, where he apologized to, quote, two different people, both under the age of 18, who had come forward about interactions with him. So there has been some recognition on his part about some of the behaviors he's been alleged of doing, of having. Is the three-month hiatus, like, he opted to just take three months off? The apology didn't work. So James Charles in the past has always been able to just, like, sit in front of the camera, sniffle a little, say I'm listening and learning and growing, and then continue laughing. presumably. Exactly. Look great. He's like usually like putting on a full beat as he talks to the camera, which is just like a feat of hand-eye brain coordination that boggles the mind, my mind specifically. Uh, (laughs) But he wasn't able to get away with it in April for possibly the first time ever. You know, he lost his television show, Instant Influencer. He winds up getting his channel demonetized by YouTube, which is huge because that's how you make money on YouTube as a YouTuber. Uh, Morphe, like the influencer makeup brand, eventually sort of wishy-washily does say it's going to part ways with him. Like the consequences were very real, and I think that's what drove him to be quiet for longer than usual. And so then he comes back, but with another apology is that like kind of how he comes back onto the scene yeah so he comes back with this video where in which he is doing his makeup and (laughs) at the same time that this happens he takes down yeah he takes down the april 2020 video that's like says something along like i'm taking accountability for my actions 
And so then he deletes that video, comes back with this new 30-minute video that's just basically an update on the situation. It's titled An Open Conversation, where he's kind of addressing the allegations, but not really. It's very ham-handed self-defense. And I think the best way to understand that is the comments on this video are truly hilarious. Uh, me and my sister explaining why we deserve a puppy. When you don't understand the essay prompt, but you still have to write 10,000 words. Uh, trying to convince your parents you weren't on the phone during your school online. <laughs> like, no one is taking him seriously. <laughs> Sia trying to explain why she had to swim to the chandelier. I like the notion that kids basically are dealing with this as farce, which seems like the healthiest way to approach this entire situation. Whereas, of course, my response is instant panic and to feel as though this represents everything that's wrong with the world, even though I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't is, panic. Yeah, I was like, this is, I think this is an instance of the kids being all right. Like, <laughs> they seem to really not be fucking with James Charles anymore, which I I feel like is an accurate spot. I mean, I think a lot of it is that the people who are accusing him are also like teens themselves. And a lot of them, in fact, most of them are teens themselves, which is the entire kind of diciness of the situation. And a lot of them posted videos on TikTok, like showing screenshots of like inappropriate messages he had sent. And so- Allegedly. <laughs> alleged, allegedly. Thank you. <laughs> Just um, he seems litigious. The man seems litigious. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's also embroiled in a lawsuit currently with his former assistant for like back wages. So there's also that like undercurrent of a lawsuit happening at the same time. So I think that largely the kids seem to know that James Charles is full of shit. Allegedly. Allegedly. He's allegedly full well, of shit. Well, that, no, that's not even allegedly. He is just full no, of shit. That was, I feel confident in that. That's assessment. fact. Yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing that helps here is that. I, we have undersold the laundry list of beefs this person has been embroiled with. He has been in a one-sided fight with Ariana Grande. He has come for Alicia Keys because people who look great without makeup shouldn't make makeup. He has had transphobic tweets, tweets about Ebola that I won't elaborate on, like over and over and over again. James Charles has seeded into his impressionable viewers' minds. I fucked up. I'm sorry. Here we are again. Yeah, he's often compared to Shane Dawson, the other king of fucking up, and they have also fought, like, had a feud at some point, so. Next, and Jeffree next Star. Time. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, like, even though he is, def- you know, he's fallen from grace and he doesn't have the following or the, you know, influence that he once did, he still, you know, I guess was for quite some time, um, and perhaps maybe again, we'll sh- we'll soon see, like a visible person, right? And like, my daughter's eight, and so she's into TikTok, she's into internet shit, so like, she's aware of people like that, you know? And he was one of the weird ones where I was kind of putting this odd position, like, well, how much do I share? You know what I mean? Like, how much does she need to know? Does she need to know about the Ebola tweets? Do we have to talk about, you know, like, the how do I talk about, like, this is somebody being accused of grooming? You know, like it, it gets tricky and it's like it, it made me think of, interestingly enough, Chris Brown of all people. Right. Like just like a guy who's present and all this stuff is there. But if you're eight, you know, or 11, you might not really be able to understand what it means that this person is both loved and reviled and that you have a decision to make and that like choosing to support them is making a choice. Mm hmm. 
as a non-parent, I cannot imagine. I was just gonna say, that man, to I'm glad I. Yeah, I was like, I cannot imagine like trying to explain this down to the level of an eight-year-old because I mean, so much of YouTube is like the parasocial relationship of it all that has been called into question as grooming in specific situations where like you are constantly kind of pushing the envelope of what your audience expects and kind of, I guess, lowering their bar for what they expect to be bad. And so in doing that, you're kind of just opening up a door to grooming. And so I just, I cannot, this is why I don't have children. (laughs) (laughs) The only reason, James Charles. (laughs) And Shane Dawson. The dividing line I would would attempt to use when talking to an eight-year-old who I would assume is more internet literate than I am, frankly, is that I think you can still if you wanted to, this is not my not my internet pool, but if you still wanted to watch James Charles's old makeup videos or tutorial, you know, there's some skill and some artistry there that I think could still be enjoyed by a kid watching these YouTube videos in tandem with a, a, a conversation about, you know, who he is as a person offline to a varying and age-appropriate degree. All right. Well, I now feel like I have even a tiny bit of understanding of the situation so I feel like I'm way ahead of the game. Rachel, I look forward to you pitching me a piece a year from now and me being like, who's James Charles? <laughs> I cannot wait to be in this time loop with you again. <laughs> Truly, though, if you want to blow your kids' minds, just hi, sisters, in like the most chipper, creepy voice you can muster. Please do it right now so I can just imitate you. Hi, sisters. I don't know if I have the guts to do that to my kids, but I, it might be worth a try. I hope our listeners do, though, and I hope they write us and tell us what happens. Everyone should please, if you listen to our show, you should also be listening to ICYMI, a Slate podcast with Madison and Rachel. It's fantastic. It will explain the internet to you, even if you don't have time to experience 100% of the internet the way that they do. Uh, You are always welcome on the show. We love having you. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Now comes the part of the show where we recommend some stuff. It's called Recommendations. Elizabeth, what you got? I'm glad I'm going first this week, you know, with my igloo cooler from last week. So, <laughs> Which was uh, actually so much cooler than we gave it credit for. And I saw that someone I know had been sent one as part of like an influencer kit. And I was legitimately jealous. Like two days after we talked about it, I was like, what cooler I want. Over the weekend, a friend of mine bought one of those and was like, oh, yeah, it's because of the podcast. And I was like, yeah. there you go. All, All right. right well, good. Well, I just feel like going first, the bar is so much lower. I don't have to compete with either of you. So here we go. <laughs> I am recommending um, the book that we're reading out loud right now, which is called The Burgess Animal Book for Children. And I pair that with this coloring book called Small Animals of North America. So we read out loud and the kids have the opportunity to like color or do some other project. But this one has been going really, really well. And these books are set up as kind of like you are Peter Rabbit is the main um, character. And he is finding out information about different animals around the forest. And he hears some from Jenny Wren, who's a Wren, and some he is now venturing um, to talk to old mother nature, who describes each animal, but about their coats and their Um, why they have, you know, why they're patterned, where they live, what their babies are like. It is just a wonderful way if you have kids that are into animals to kind of learn some stuff about the animals. This book is specific to the animals in North America, but we've done the Burgess Bird Book and there's a couple others. But it's great because it gives the kids the tools within the story to identify these animals when they're out and about, which I just think is like a a great thing for kids to know. And they now know whether they're seeing some kind of, um, you know, in the rodent family, that's what the kids are into, like 
this particularly came important on our road trip when they were identifying the like kill on the road. You know, Jeff was like, oh, it's a beaver. And they're like, that's not a beaver. It's a marmot. You know, Jenny Wren told them about the the coat of, you know, this or the tail shape. So it's it's just really fun because it's something you get to see them apply. And as we're reading, they find the animal we're reading about and and color it. And it's just been a really nice kind of summer experience. So that's the Burgess Animal Book for Children and the Small Animals of North America. America coloring book. Great way to distract them from the fact that the animal is lying dead at the side of the room. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a great recommendation. I love it. Uh, Jamila, what do you have? So I offer this with the acceptance that for some of you, particularly those of you who've never seen me before, that in your head, you're constructing like a black version of Regina George's mom. Um, I'm not that, but uh I have, I guess I am adding yet another cool mom thing to my life's arsenal. Um, I am recommending, so the streets are starting to open back up a bit. Many of us are going back to in-person fitness classes for the first time in over a year. I've started my first in-person fitness class since everything shut down and I'm taking pole dancing. Of course I am, such a fucking cliche. (laughs) So typical, so on brand. And it is so much fun. I've done two classes um, and I guess I did one. I've done two in the past week and I have another one on Friday. I'm all in. I took a class once many years ago. It is very hard. It is intimidating. It's a great workout. And if you are looking for something to challenge yourself and to maybe just feel really silly and conspicuous surrounded by, you know, a couple of hot 22 year olds, go to pole dance class. Do it. Your Instagram posts all make sense now. You looked awesome though in your last in your last one about being at your second class. So whatever you're doing, it's working. <laughs> totally fantastic. If your pole dancing studio is not advertising on this show in a month, I will eat my yeah. ass. <laughs> uh, all right. I am recommending something that is not pole dancing. If you are not aware, listeners, I just want to call your attention to the fact that it is currently cheap cherry season. In many parts of this fine nation, uh, America's grocery stores are overwhelmed with cherries. They are selling them for like four bucks or five bucks less than they usually cost per pound. In my hair tier right now, cherries are $1.99 a pound. That's $1.99 a pound. And they, it's like Christmas underneath. A, it's like piles of cherries as far as the eye can see. Now, this will only last like another week or two. So I encourage everyone, if you live in a place where this is happening, Get your ass to the grocery store, buy as many bags of cherries as you possibly think you could eat in a week, then buy one more bag, and then just make cherries the only thing you eat for as long as possible. I have determined over the course of many years that if you really focus and bear down, you can eat cherries nonstop through an entire workday from nine to five, pausing only to dump your bowls of pits into the garbage, and then also for lunch. So do not miss cheap cherry season the best part of the year. All right, that is it for our show. One last time, if you have a question for us, email us at slate.com or post the question to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting and you'll find it. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jasmine Ellis. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.